Hi, and welcome to the Podcast Brunch Club podcast. I'm Adela, the founder of Podcast Brunch Club. And as you probably know by now, PBC is like book club but for podcasts. We now have nearly 80 chapters across six continents. These groups meet up in person to discuss a monthly podcast listening list. This month, the theme of the listening list is happiness, and you can find the list at podcastbrunchclub.com happiness. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Andy Paradise, who helped me launch the PBC chapter in Santa Cruz, California. I was heartbroken to learn that Andy was recently given a terminal cancer diagnosis. To honor her and her contribution to PBC, we dedicated this month's listening list to her. Hi, Andy. Um, first of all, the big question I want to know is how are you feeling lately? Uh, I'm feeling really quite good. Um, I got results of a scan recently that showed that I was responding to my uh, first treatment that I've been on, and I have been feeling gradually better and better, and uh, I'm feeling quite good. Thanks. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, Why don't you take a moment just to tell us a little bit about yourself, like paint a picture for us about your life in broad strokes. Well, I was, uh, I'm a California girl, uh, born and raised in California. I spent a, a couple of years when I was uh, 9, 10, and 11 in uh, Nigeria, in Africa. Um, my father was hired by UCLA to train Peace Corps volunteers, teachers. So the whole family got to go. And and that was a wonderful formative experience. And I grew up, went to college in California, became a musician, kind of full time, uh, singing, playing bass. Met my husband Warren, who worked at a music store that I would go to, and. Um, we were in bands together. We started a high-end audio-video store together because that's something that he has prior knowledge about, and I just kind of tagged along and uh, helped run the business. And uh, we had one kid who's now 27, still uh, still living at home with us, as many kids are. Our, our child is transgender, was assigned male at birth, um, but she came out as being trans maybe uh, seven years ago. And uh, we're both super supportive parents and really love the the journey that that has taken our life into me in particular I'm I've become a quite an activist on that front to be a supportive parent and to model what that's like and uh we're well I'm retired we're both retired now so this is a good time in life to be um it's a good time in life to have got cancer. I, I've, <laughs> you know, my child's grown. I, I don't have small children. I don't have anything I feel like I've got to accomplish before I die. Um, I get to 
smell the roses and go on hikes and kind of do what whatever I feel in my heart I want to spend my time doing um, now that my time is limited. It, 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 that's kind of, that's my story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want to I want to ask you a little bit about your diagnosis, but before I do that, I wanted to dig a little deeper into some of the things that you said. So you, you spent time in Nigeria. Um, did you have brothers and sisters? I have one sister. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she was at, in Nigeria with you? She was in Nigeria for one of the two years we were there. She's older than me and she had the option of getting to go to a college. I mean, mm-hmm. to, I'm sorry, to high school outside of um, where we were living. So she went to Switzerland for uh, the second year. Oh, wow. Okay. And are you guys, is she, does she live nearby? She lives in California. She lives about five hours from me. Yeah. Okay. And are you guys close? We're pretty close. We're, we're, we're not super close. We weren't close growing up. We've gotten closer as adults. Yeah. But we talk weekly and we see each other regularly. That's good. And then in terms of Nigeria, did that, it sounds like that was a, you said it was a formative experience. Did, have you Mm -hmm. traveled a lot in your life? Yeah, I have traveled quite a bit. I, uh, I mostly to European countries and, uh, a little bit to Mexico. And then, you know, the two years I lived in Africa. I've traveled enough that on my bucket list of things to do before I die, um, traveling really isn't on there. I feel like I've, I've done that enough that there isn't anything, any place that I, that I've got to see, you know, there's a couple places I might want to go to, but nothing pushing on me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So tell us a little bit about, about your music. And I know that you, when you and I talked uh, about a month ago, you were saying that you had somebody video one of your concerts recently. Mm, yeah. Well, um, my music. I I have played kind of anything and everything, a bass player and a vocalist. And uh, when I used to do it professionally, which I no longer do, I, I was kind of in nightclubs doing top 40 and dance music and weddings and private corporate functions and things like that. In the last few years, my focus has been more on on jazz and I was doing uh, jazz vocals uh, in a in a little combo in a band with my husband, but then that kind of fell away. And then I got into a jazz vocal class um, at my local community college, which I've been doing for the last, oh, I don't know, five years, maybe. And, um, and I really love that. That's kind of a special thing for me to have jazz vocal harmonies Kind of like uh, Manhattan Transfer might be the most well-known jazz vocal group, um, New York Voices. Uh, these are like small ensembles, like there's like eight people at most in the group. And you have every person or every two people are on a different part. And 
and the the feeling I get when I'm part of a chord that's being sung that's really complex and beautifully blended um, is a really great feeling. It's my favorite thing to do musically. And the the recording that I mentioned to you that mm-hmm. I had done was of my our last performance. This group is is part of a college class, so it starts over every semester. And at the end of the semester, you put on a, a concert. And so I videoed that concert thinking it would probably be my last, and I wanted to preserve it for my family, for my kid. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your diagnosis. I was diagnosed uh, four months ago um, on Halloween, actually, uh, uh, with metastatic stage four breast cancer. And I didn't have any thing, any cancer before that. It was like, oh, wow. The diagnosis was just like, bang, you know, this is terminal and there's not much we can do, no surgery or anything like that, no radiation. Um, Just perhaps uh, chemo or other targeted treatments that might extend your life a little bit if you respond to them. So you were a pretty healthy person up until that point. I was a pretty healthy person. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had, uh, some symptoms. I'm a big hiking fan. I, I, I get out into the woods and hike, I don't know, five miles, maybe two, three times a week. And I have for the last, for six months leading up to this, I was not having much energy and I was not feeling I couldn't really eat much and I was losing a lot of weight. My stomach didn't feel good. So that was my main symptom. And after I'd lost, I don't know, 25 pounds, I finally went into the doctor and they wanted to do a scan and that's was it. But yes, I've been pretty healthy my whole life. Wow. I can't even imagine. Um, how did you take it and how did your family take it? I mean, obviously that's a shocker, but yeah, well, I was, I was definitely, you know, cried a lot, was really grief stricken. My family was also, yeah, but I think they took their cues from me and, uh, right away. I mean, when I, when I first was told, I wasn't told I had breast cancer. That didn't come till a biopsy a couple weeks later. But I was told that what I had was terminal and was not treatable. And I said on the phone to the doctor who told me, well, you know, am I going to die? And she said, well, you know, we got to wait till we do the biopsy. And then you see a specialist and all this stuff. So until I saw that specialist, maybe three weeks after my di- my first diagnosis uh, or my first information, I was taking the attitude of like, I think I've got two to six months to live. I, I made that up. I made that up based on, you know, 
TV shows I've seen. And basically, if somebody says you have stage four metastatic cancer and it's terminal, I'm going, oh, well, that that means I'm going to die soon. There's not, you know. So I decided that within, you know, probably a few minutes of being told that that was how I was going to approach this until I heard otherwise or or learned otherwise, I was going to assume that I was dying imminently. And so I proceeded to try and um, wrap my brain around dying pretty quickly. And, and that, you know, took me, uh, I, I, I w- started reading uh, a lot of books about dying. I started listening to podcasts about dying. I was taking walks in the woods and saying goodbye to everything. And I was grieving a lot. I was um, uh, crying a lot and wanted to get to a place of acceptance and peace and get there as quick as I could because I didn't think I had a lot of time left to kind of go through the stages of grief. I wanted to get to the acceptance part pretty quick. And um, so, you know, I kept kind of dwelling in this place. And I think, I think I did get to the acceptance piece pretty quick, probably within, I don't know, uh, a couple weeks. I think I, I kind of got broke through the intense grieving and began to to really see a gratitude and gratefulness and joy in what life I had left and you know it's been kind of a a roller coaster where I'd, I I have had moments of incredible grief again but mostly it's been leaning more toward kind of just a peaceful gratitude I all the things that didn't bring me joy and happiness and all the busy work kind of stuff. I just was done with. And it's been really nice focusing on things that uh, bring me joy. I I imagine clarity is probably part of the process. Like there's just has to be some sort of level of like this, the nonsense falling away and it becoming very clear what is important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a big NPR nightly news watcher, and I have not watched the news since that day. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not totally ignorant. I, it comes, it comes up, you know, in my, in my feeds and stuff, and I know what's going on, but I'm not like paying a lot of attention. I'm not glued to it. Yeah, and I have, and I also have only been to the store like to buy groceries like once or twice it's like Uh nope don't want to don't want to even be there or deal with that and so mostly I've uh, you know sent my husband off to do all the things that I don't want to (laughs) do so what so is it just that you don't like grocery shopping or that you're just like food who cares about food is it like I didn't like grocery shopping yeah you know yeah that's probably one of the worst. I, I know so many people who love it, but yeah, I agree. If I I didn't I didn't like food either. I would I have hmm. been having 
uh, a lot of issues with eating. Um, but they started me on a, a medication right away that they said I had kind of a 50-50 chance of responding to. And if I did respond to it, I could get um, maybe up to a couple years. Mm-hmm. And when they said that, I mean, it's just like, you know, rainbows and unicorns exploded in my mind. It was like, <laughs> oh, that's like two years? Really? That's the best news I've heard. And um, and and then I got my scans like just a few weeks ago, and it shows that I am responding to it. Um, so now I'm in kind of a little different situation where I've been given um, a temporary reprieve from death, and uh, and I and I'm actually enjoying food again. It's kind of like the medication has helped my. Uh, stomach feel better, and um, but I still I still don't want to go grocery shopping. <laughs> <laughs> You're never taking that back up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't blame you. Um, so a couple questions, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? Uh, um, I'm sixty-three. I think mm-hmm. I never pay attention to age. It's never <laughs> been an important thing to me. Yeah. yeah, my dad turned 80 yesterday and I and I was like, age is just a number. I mean, he goes to the gym three to four times a week. He's doing yoga. He's doing Zumba. You know, it's just a number. Yeah. And yeah. I honestly sometimes have to do the math to figure out how old I am. I'm always like, yeah. wait, when was I born? What year is it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, okay. So in terms of the treatments, mm-hmm. so you, when you were given the initial diagnosis, you, they didn't really give you a time frame. You had this idea of two to six months in your head. And then at some point, they gave you six years to two, sorry, six months to two years. Is that what happened? And then they said, on top of that, you might gain a few years from this treatment? Or No. No. no that was no, part of the- No, it was um, my first conversation with the oncologist. She told me that if I respond to the medication, I could get two years. I see. Um, if I don't, Um, I probably will have six months from whenever they've determined that I'm not responding. And yeah, and then there's other medications. There's not much. There's like two or three other things that might be tried after I stop responding to this medication. But the last thing would be uh, chemo. and you know, I can always change my mind, but I'm pretty sure that I don't want to do that. I'm pretty sure that I will sacrifice um, time in favor of quality of of the time I have left. And so, you know, I might try chemo once and see how bad it really makes me feel. But if it makes me feel really shitty, I ju- I'm just going to um, say, no, I'd rather die earlier than not have quality. Yeah, right. Um, and then how have you been thinking about the end of life process? I mean, we talked a little bit about bucket lists and it sounds like singing and hiking or you know, nature are two things that really bring you joy. But are you um are there any things that you're thinking about doing that, you know, only came up after you got the diagnosis or how is that process going for you? Yeah, you know, there really wasn't anything. I 
thought about it. I thought about what do I want to do? What, what do I feel like I need to do? And it was amazing. It was like I kind of came away going, you know, what I have done and the life I have is good enough. I don't need to do anything or be anywhere or accomplish anything that I haven't already done. I, I've had a w wonderful life. And my philosophy of life since I was a little kid was that time is the most important thing we have. And it's more important than money. And so my whole life, I have chosen time over money. I have been able to have a wonderful time for my whole life because I ha have always consciously made that choice that I don't have any anything. I, I, I you know, I was not on this kind of corporate treadmill. I was not in this money making thing in my early years. I was always kind of like doing what I loved. And always and being in bands and doing stuff so that um, I don't have anything now that I th that I would call a bucket list and that's a, quite a wonderful feeling that I'm just want to spend my remaining time kind of just hanging out with people that I care about uh, I love having deep meaningful conversations with people. I'm not a big small talker. I don't like parties. You know, I like going deep with people and talking about, you know, what's really important and just enjoying what what's around me. I have a nice backyard with plants. You know, even when I get to the point where I'm not physically very able to do much, I can still sit at my window and look out and enjoy that. Uh, you know, I want to avoid the hospital situation and just be able to die in my home mm -hmm. and um, hopefully without pain. I mean, that's the big scary thing for me is pain. I'm not in any pain right now. And I hope if I ever am in pain that that there is enough stuff I can take that will make that very tolerable. I'm 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 hoping for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I work at a medical school and there's a lot of talk about palliative care and, you know, minimizing pain at the end of life and all that. So I think there's there's a lot of, I'm sure it, they will make it comfortable for you. I mean, that's what palliative care doctors yeah. do. Yeah. But I mean, has, has, um, like what, I guess, what advice, like, what are you telling your daughter or what are you sort of, it, it, it seems like it, it was a shock, obviously, like you didn't undergo years and years of cancer treatments. And then they say, well, there's nothing else we could do for you. This is like, just, you know, one day it was like a terminal diagnosis which yeah. i'm sure came with its own set of challenges um and it also sounds like you've led a, a life that you're proud to to have led and that there's not a lot of regret which is enviable that's i mean this is why i wanted to talk to you you know because i think that you can probably provide clarity for a lot of us who are living our lives sort of indefinitely right we think we're never going to die but we are we're all going to die and um 
kind of getting that clarity is important. And it's, I mean, it's really nice to hear that you've sort of always had it and sort of probably didn't even realize it at the time, but looking back, you're like, oh, well, yeah, I did things right. And, and that's great. So what would you recommend for, for those of us who are, you know, in the middle of our lives, like prioritizing in terms of happiness and quality of life? Well, uh, again, uh, time, if we all, we only have a finite amount of time and nobody knows how long they have, but you know, it's not going to be, um, forever. So to, uh, to try and begin to structure your life around the things that having your time to do what you want um can can get you i think i think it's a i think it's a, a a bit of a class issue too though because a lot of people cannot afford to like you know work less and and so that's uh, you know i've i've had a lot of privilege in that i was able to do that i was able to well i don't know I don't know. I was actually, though, willing to live with a lot less mm. to um, be able to have my time. I mean, there, there was a period of time where I was on on food stamps and sleeping in a closet, basically, um, to be able to not work and have my time to do the things I loved doing. So I guess it's not all a privileged thing. It was a choice also to sacrifice those kinds of things for having my time. So I guess I would, I would recommend to people that they just um, treasure their time and to try and not spend it um, always consumed on the treadmill of what they think they need to do um, because if they got a diagnosis with a month to live, what would they be doing? Mm-hmm. They change. Would you change anything about what you do with your time if you knew you didn't have, you know, much? I mean, it's it's tricky. We can't we can't get our brains to wrap around actually believing that as much as we do this kind of like mental exercise. We can't, we can't trick our brains into, into actually feeling like we're dying. Um, So, I mean, even with me where they've given me now a lot longer frame than I originally thought, my brain wants to immediately fall back into this. Oh, now you can just kind of like coast. Go back to arguing with my husband, which disappeared <laughs> for a while there. You know, we, we, yeah. we kind of like didn't have any more relationship problems because we were focusing on, you know, a limited time. And now we're like bickering again. <laughs> and you're going to, yeah, you don't want to start going to the grocery store again or watching the NPR night, nightly I know, news. Right? I know, but I'm thinking, God, what if, what if I actually have a lot of years Am I going to, you know, never grocery shop again, you know, and never watch the news again? So I, it's tempting to fall back into, into old 
habits like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I know that you listened to the listening list on happiness. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, I know that you listened a couple weeks ago, um, but did anything really stick out to you? Were there any, any things that were, you know, poignant for you or, or really, um, I don't know, meaningful? Well, I think the, the last one on gross national happiness really, um, felt like the way I, I, I live my life and, and that I really, uh, kind of felt resonated with that one. Um, uh, that the happiness lab they talked about time again and having more social interactions yeah. those those were things that were important to me too yeah as i was curating the listening list i mean you know cuz i sent you the i sent you four of the five episodes a couple of weeks ago that saying that these are the ones that are going to be on the list but then the last minute i added that one about the about gross national happiness and i was really seeking out a good episode it was very hard to find but um I'm glad I came across it because I think that there, you know, a lot of the other episodes talked about what we can do as individuals to be happy, you know, like spend more time with people and talk to strangers and show gratitude and random acts of kindness and all those things that, yeah, we have control over for sure. Um, But then there are things that our governments can do to prioritize that and not use GDP as a a measure of prosperity, but rather to use quality of life as a measure of prosperity. And prosperity doesn't necessarily have to mean economic prosperity. And so I guess what I hear you saying is like, take that lesson and sort of apply it inward, right? Like, you know, it's not all about making as much money as you can and living in the biggest house that you can and driving the biggest car or going on the best vacations and, you know, bragging about it on Instagram. And it's rather about making sure that you're not going to the grocery store if that's the thing that you hate doing, you know, or like finding if you can, right? Like if you can find ways to, you know, improve the quality of your life on these like micro levels and not spend so much time harping on the news. You know, I I, I read an article the other day about um, about coronavirus and hypochondriacs and how, you know, and it's called illness anxiety disorder now. But, you know, how it's not necessarily irrational. Illness anxiety disorder or hypochondria is like an irrational thing, right? Like you're, you're, you're irrationally fearful of getting, you know, the plague or whatever. But um, this, is not, this is not irrational. It's not irrational to think, oh, okay, I need to think about what I'm going to do. I need to really be conscious about this because this is a true risk. But there's also a level of like, you should probably not, if you, if you tend to... Uh, be a little bit more on the on the hypochondriac side. Don't watch the news as much because that's only going to scare you and there's not much you can do about it. Like worrying actually doesn't change the outcome. Yeah. So I think for me, I know like as I listen to you, I spend a lot of time worrying. And it's really, I think, important for me to think about how it doesn't change the outcome. So why am I bothering with like spending my time, like you said, time right now worrying when it's not going to matter in the end, like whatever's going to happen is going to happen probably without, there's nothing I could probably do about it. So I shouldn't waste my time with worry. Yeah, I'm a big worrier too. I'm definitely have come from that side of, uh, of the way we've 
can view things. And I think this diagnosis has definitely been a wake-up call to remind me not to go there, not to get into uh, the weeds too deep with things. And, and, you know, I, I have somewhat of an easy out. I can say, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to be here in 20 years. So it's not my problem if you guys don't fight climate change or, you know, who you elect. Sometimes I, I get I have the luxury of getting to go there, too, and that helps me stop worrying. Um, but I, I'm definitely uh, a worrier, too, yeah. And you have a child that you have to think about that has a whole future ahead of her. So, you know, it's. I think that's also partially, I'm sure, part of your worry is not just about your lifespan, but her lifespan as well. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to be here. So I try, I, I try to not take on uh, what are going to be her problems onto my shoulders too much. I, I just kind of figure like, you know, she'll figure it out. She's a smart person. She'll make her life work that I don't need to micromanage uh, things so that she'll you know, have, have it better. So, I mean, I know that you wanted to do this interview partly for your family. And I guess my, one of my last questions is, um, what, you know, is, were there any questions that I didn't ask you, um, in the last 40 minutes that you wish I did so that you could sort of have it on record for your family? I think uh, I'd like it on record for them to to know that um, I love them and that I'm proud of them. You know, that isn't really a question, uh, except maybe, you know, for people to not put off saying to their loved ones things that they want them to know about because I mean I think I've had this I have this wonderful opportunity where I am told I'm going to die soon so that I can say all these things and I can and get everything in order that I want to do and uh, a lot of people aren't going to have that they're not going to have they're going to they're they're going to die suddenly. They're going to die so gradually that they don't hardly even know they're dying and not have that opportunity to really focus mm-hmm. on what's important and saying the things you need to say to people that you care about. I went through a, a, a while where I was uh, calling people. There was there wasn't many, but there were a couple people that I had to talk to that I had to, you know, ask forgiveness for, Mm. you know, that I felt like I I, um, had never resolved a problem that we had had. And I didn't want to die without, you know, letting them know how I felt. And so having that has been a wonderful opportunity and 
and getting in touch with one of the podcasts talked about change, you know, change, everything is changing all the time. And we just uh, don't embrace it enough. We're all gonna, we're all gonna die. And we're all changing all the time. Yeah, a kind of a kind of a great thing to let go and not try and hold on to things as being so fixed, but letting things change. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I'm going to send you a podcast recommendation. Um, I just listened to an episode of WBUR's Kind World. And I like to listen to it because it's about nice stories, because I listen to so many podcasts that are somewhat depressing or like utterly depressing. Um, and this episode, I mean, Kind World is great. It's it's still somewhat depressing, though, because there's always some sort of sad story that goes along with it. But um, this this episode was about a woman who actually wrote a book about her process of over the course of a year writing thank you notes. She wasn't, you know, termin- terminally diagnosed or anything like that. She just decided that she was going to write thank you notes to everybody in her life that she wanted to thank. And some of them that she didn't even send, you know, like to ex-boyfriends or, you know, people that she didn't really want to send them to. But she still went through the process of writing thank you letters. And she and then she wrote a book about the process and and what it did for her. And it's, I think what you just said reminded me of that episode because mm. talking about thanking people um, in the moment and while you have the time, because we don't know what's going to happen. So on that note, Andy, um, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for everything that you've done for Podcast Brunch Club in Santa Cruz. And I want to thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast and um and just you know let you know that we all love you and that you know if you need anything you can reach out there's a whole community here who is supporting you and sending their love and we would love to help in any way we can Uh, well thank you for giving me this opportunity you're very welcome oh well i just wanted to request that if anybody in the podcast brunch club community listens to a podcast or several about death and dying, um, living well while dying, anything having to do with death and dying. Um, I would appreciate uh, getting a chance to listen to those. So however you can work it to send them my way, I want to keep listening on that topic. Yeah. And I will say uh, the best way that you can do that probably is just to email me. So that's Adela, A-D-E-L-A at podcastbrunchclub.com. And just in the in the subject, say something like for Andy. Uh, and I will pass that along to Andy. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Podcast Brunch Club community. Do you have any thoughts on our discussion this month? Send a message or voice memo to podcast at podcastbrunchclub.com. PBC is a passion project, and we rely on support from our global community to continue bringing people together in person and online. So if you feel like PBC has contributed to your life in any way, please consider becoming a patron or making a one-time donation. Go to podcastbrunchclub.com support for more information. 
If you're interested in becoming an organizational partner, go to podcastbrunchclub.com slash sponsors. A quick thanks to our early partners. Podbean. For one free month of podcast hosting, go to podbean.com slash pbc. Podchaser. The IMDb of podcasts. Listen Notes. A podcast search engine. Critical Frequency. The podcast network for everyone else. The Venn Media, a weekly newsletter for curious minds, and Lentigua Williams and Company Podcast Network, telling stories in the seams of society. Finally, some credits for this episode. Katie D. Fiore is our audio editor. Music is from Chad Crouch and Miss Ayal Ghana, downloaded from Free Music Archive. I'm Adela, founder of Podcast Brunch Club, and as always, thanks and happy listening. <laughs>